So, a very big thank you to Cape and Ray last, last week as well. Ads, if you're watching, bro, thank you very much for bringing you and the students out. That was a great blessing. I was greatly encouraged by them serving us last week. Uh, Jono, thank you very much for the week before and, and sharing the word with us from 1 Corinthians 13, which I was greatly encouraged by as well. And I want to actually follow on with that, seeing, seeing that we're into, if you have the devotional book, the uh, 30 days of devotional thoughts, once again, thank you for all those people that input into it. We're up to day 22. So on the 23rd of October, we're up to day 22. And, and what I want to do is, since we're 22 days into the actual devotions, I want to follow Jono's example and share with you one of the devotions from that book today, the Bible verse that was shared from that particular devotion on our 30 days journey. And the verse is actually today's devotion, taken from John chapter 16. And the devotional thought was taken from actually a devotional Bible that I had read, uh, put together by this lady called Anne Spangler. And the thought of how Jesus is the one who came to turn the world upside down. I mean, you look at some of those wonderful biblical truths that the first would be last and the last would be first. That when someone strikes your cheek, you ought to turn and give him the other cheek also. That if a person takes your shirt, give your coat as well. If anyone wants to be great, what do you need to do? You need to humble yourself like a little child. Following Jesus as he turns your world upside down is the only way to true peace. This is what the, the, the devotional says. On planet Earth, life doesn't work the way it was meant to. But fortunately for us, Christ is not content to leave it that way. Instead, he has begun to remake the world one heart at a time, spreading his peace, establishing his love, enabling us to live the life he offers. That's in the devotional, so I'm sorry if you have to repeat it again later. But in today's verse, it's actually taken from John chapter 16, verse 33. And he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. What a beautiful verse. What a beautiful promise. And so as we look at this passage today, let's have our hearts open to what God wants to teach us, not only about peace, but more importantly, about himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, whom you have given so that we might have life and life to the full so that we might be delivered from condemnation and brought into your marvelous light, so that we would be free, able to live in the freedom and in the liberty that is granted to us in your Son. And I pray that today with all the distractions that are around us, with all of the oppression and the pressure of outside influences, that you will give us the next few moments to concentrate solely on you that we would release all these things, all the stresses, all the worries, all the heartaches, all the disappointments, that we release them to you, our Heavenly Father, that we would trust in you, his Holy Son, 
and allow your Holy Spirit to work the perfect work of salvation and deliverance in each of our hearts today. Please teach us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Context is vital for us to see what the Lord is trying to communicate to us. Context is vital for us to fully understand what is taking place because what is happening here in John chapter 16 is that they're actually on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. They have just had the meal. They have just had some of the teachings take place in chapter 13 and 14 and 15, and now we're moving into 16 because at the end of chapter 15, you read how they get up and they leave. And so they were walking along now, and, and this, on the way to Gethsemane, Jesus shares some amazing things in chapter 16. Now, if you've read this devotional already, if you're reading this verse now, there is this thing here. He says, I have told you these things. Now, I don't know if you've noticed something. Whenever you sort of read something, you wonder, okay, what has he told them? What has he imparted to them? He says, I have told you these things for a particular reason. See, it is what the disciples have been told, past tense, that Jesus seeks to address some concerns, some frustrations, some uncertainties, some queries that the disciples may have had because the disciples were trying to get their mind around what Jesus was trying to tell them. Sometimes it's what we do when we read a passage of Scripture and we just think, I don't get it. Or you might even listen to me and say, what's he saying? You're trying to grasp these things because when you read in John 16, verse 17 and 18, you read this. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while, you'll see me no more, and then after a while, you'll see me? And, and, and because I am going to the Father, they kept asking, what does he mean by, in a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Isn't that us a lot of the time? Isn't that us when we find confusion or because we don't fully comprehend? Isn't that us? We're sitting there trying to figure out, so what does Jesus do? Jesus, in his grace, in this moment, tells them. He goes, I have told you these things. I have told you of the hardship that you'll face, in verse 20. I have told you of the pain that you'll endure as you look to follow Jesus, in verse 21. He tells them of the joy in persevering in that pain and hardship, in verse 22. He speaks of the privilege of access to God the Father in verse 23, of asking and of receiving from God in verse 24, of being told plainly in verse 25, and of being loved by the Father in Christ in verses 26 right through the 28. I didn't read the passage because you can do that. You can read through and see this. I have told you these things. And what's really fascinating is that when they get told straight out, this is their response. They say, now you are speaking clearly and without figure of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Now, what I love about this particular 
I guess you could say discourse or dialogue, is that we continually come across things in our lives that cause us to ask questions. Things we don't understand. Why is my wife sick? Why do my kids do what they do? Well, then again, that's maybe my parenting. Maybe it's, why, why did I lose my job? Why can't I get a job? Why is life the way it is? Why are there hardships? Why are there struggles? Why is there tension? All this stuff that we don't understand, that we find hassling and pressuring us all the time. But it's not just this that they are told. I don't went too far, sorry. But it's not just this that they are told. It's also the truths that he started right from the beginning in chapter 13 all the way up to this point here. He's wanting to impart to them some realities to equip them, to inform them, to enable them. The exact same way that he wants to equip us, to inform us, to enable us to live a particular way, to live in a world where there are uncertainties to live in a world where there is pressure, to live in a world where there is hardship. And what are these things that he has told them? And that's now we come to hear about the servant leadership as he, as he washes the disciples' feet in John 13, that the promise of his return in John 14, the establishing of Jesus as the only way to the Father, of the Holy Spirit and his ministry and his work, that, that the Holy Spirit in us is far better than Jesus being with us. That is, Jono preached on this, oh, that'd be about a year and a bit ago. Have a look on our archives, but it's a great sermon that having Jesus, so having the Spirit in us is far better than having Jesus with us. That there's our home ground advantage that Chris, where's my brother Chris? Chris did the advantage from John 15 about the home ground advantage we have in his devotional coupled with the truth that we thrive as we remain connected to the vine. And that as we live from the vine, as opposed to living for the vine, we will be hated by the world. These are these truths that we are being told about the Holy Spirit doing His work in us so that we will not fall away. This is what He has told them. This is what He has told us. And that if we can hold on to the very words of God, that if we can meditate and, I guess, immerse ourselves within the Scriptures, what happens? We become like that tree of Psalm, chapter one, of Psalm 1, uh, that tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season. That we become like if we remain in Him, as it says in John 15, 7, if we remain in Him and His words remain in us, then we ask whatever we wish and it will be done. He has told all of these things to equip, to inform, to enable. But there's an important reality I want you to grasp and take hold of. With all of this information that we are given, with all of the truths that are imparted to us by Jesus, we have, to, we have to look beyond the mere accumulation of information. That's what we need to get past. We need to get past gathering a whole bunch of Bible verses for the sake of just knowing them. 
We need to get past a whole bunch of intellectual knowledge for the sake of saying that we have intellectual knowledge because what he does, he says, I have told you these things so that you'll have peace. Yes, but he says, so that in me you will have peace. That's the difference. Knowing these scriptures, they don't give you peace. Knowing Jesus gives you peace. Being immersed in the scriptures, yes, as great and as beneficial as it is, is, the purpose of that is to bring us to Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace. That's where it differs. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In him who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Him who is all-encompassing from eternity past to eternity future that encompasses from the moment that you are born to the moment that you die. In him you will find peace. In him who died and rose again, who conquered death, who promised us because he lives, you will live also. He promises us that, that in him, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, breaking down that wall of division that keeps us separate from him. We have access to him now. In him who made all things and by whom all things exist. In him who conquered death. In him who is seated at God's right hand ever to make intercession for us. In him we have peace. That's where it is. In him, have you ever noticed, have you ever noticed that whenever there's any situation when someone who knows what they're doing steps in, how much peace that brings to you? It's amazing how that happens. For example, and Kerry would know this being a teacher and Eva would know this being a teacher. Anyone else, is is anybody else that's a teacher here? Just you two? But have you noticed, so for me, there are certain protocols at the school that I work at about things that need to be done and how they're supposed to be done. If a student does this, this is how you respond. I was talking with Ali before. I made a student cry this week, and, and I had the principal there, the, the acting principal there was in the class while I, when I did this. I, I don't, I'm not happy about it. Maybe a little, but, but anyway, I'm not happy about it. But I, made a, I, made, I did make a student cry and, and things, and it was, a, it was a whole aspect of, but it was really funny because, you know, if the student misbehaved, and yeah, yeah, I did make the student cry, but there are certain protocols. And Now, when I first started there, I found it very difficult because I didn't know what to do. It was very difficult. Who do I go to? What's the chain of command? Who do I look at first? And so, thank you so much for that, sister. I must be very shiny on the camera at the moment, so I apologize for that. Okay. Julian's just looking at me. Does, does he always carry a towel? Yeah, I, I'm supposed to, bro. I'm supposed to. Okay. So I, <laughs> I'm, trying, I'm trying my head. I should have got off camera to do this. I'm sorry. Okay, so. But because, I'm, because I didn't sort of know how it was, when somebody would do something, I would feel very apprehensive. I, I would feel very concerned. How do I deal with this? What do I, is this the right procedure? Is this how I handle that situation? Whatever. But then when a teacher, a head teacher, a year advisor would come, this is what we do, Joe. And then I'm like, okay, that makes sense. 
And then there's this, there's this peace that comes because someone who knows what they're doing is able to guide me through the circumstances that I'm facing and get me out the other end. That's how peace works in our lives. That's how peace works in our lives, not because it's peace for peace's sake, but because we know Jesus, who is the one that enables us to navigate the various situations that we face in life. It could be home issues. It could be work issues. It could be community issues. It could be political issues. Whatever it is, Jesus is the one who brings peace because he is the one that is ultimately in control. See, do you know why he says, he says, in me, you can have peace. But you know why we can have peace? Because we are not fatherless. We're not left to our own devices. If you have a look in John chapter 14, verse 18, which I really love, it says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you as orphans. Through the psalmist, David, he writes, When my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. I would encourage you to get a book by Elwood McQuaid. It's it's titled Zvi, Z-V-I. I've just read the book again, a brilliant book of a Jewish man who who comes to Christ, who during the Second World War worked for the Russian partisans as a non-Christian, but he comes to Christ uh, as he becomes, uh, as as they they re-establish in 1948 Israel as a nation. But Elwood McQuaid, Zvi, I think it's on Amazon, it's about seven or eight dollars, but it is a great read. But that was his Bible verse. He got put in an orphanage as a young child because he had blonde hair and blue eyes. And they put, his parents put him in an orphanage uh, when the Nazis went into Poland and said, don't tell anybody you're a Jew. And so he lived there and he said, this became his verse when my father, because he never saw his parents again. He never saw any of his family again. He actually got involved in the Nazi youth, but God in his grace intervened and wouldn't let him go to Berlin because he was too skinny. So he got sent back and then kicked out of the orphanage and where he discovered, just learned how to survive. But it is a great book. But he says, that's his verse. My father and mother forsake me, but the Lord took me up. And belonging to the, so he takes me up. So in belonging to the family of God, I am assured the involvement of my heavenly father with me. I want that word. I want you, what's he called? Emmanuel. The Lord Jesus is called Emmanuel. God with us. Not just God beside us. Not just God in us. He is with us, meaning this. He is present. He is present with us. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Psalm 139. And I'm just going to read to you verses 1 to 10 in the NIV. I want you to take note of how many times the word you in relation to you is mentioned. He's talking about God. He's talking about God. The pronoun he refers to God. In Psalm 139, verses 1 to 10, 1 to 10 read with, well, not read with, read along with me. It says this You, God, have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you, you lay your hand upon me. Verse 6, such knowledge 
is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to retain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. I think it's like 15 or 16 times in those 10 verses, he says, you, God, you, you are not fatherless. You are not orphans. You are loved by a heavenly father that loves you with an everlasting love that upholds you, that holds you secure, and that will never allow you to be plucked from it. Does that not warm your heart? Does that not excite your soul? Does that not stir your being? That the creator of the universe that our brother Jono described, that created the trees, that, that, that created the magnificence of creation from the mountaintops when you look down, that very God looks at you and is involved directly with you. You are not left alone. He, he loves you. And if you could grasp that beyond just an intellectual ascent, but allow it to just embed upon your soul and allow God to do an amazing work within your very heart. Oh, that stirs. To know that you are not fatherless. Because you are not fatherless, fatherless you belong. Hey, brother, you okay? Come sit down. Come join. Thanks for joining us today. All right. So we are not, say that. Say we are not fatherless. That's so exciting. You belong to a family, the very family of God in Christ. That's why you can have peace. Because your daddy is with you. I mean, what's one of the biggest things that a kid can say? My dad's stronger than yours. My dad's bigger than yours. My dad has more hair than yours. Every dad has more hair than mine, that's for sure. But you know what I mean? That's, that's where it is. That's where it is. And that is our father. That's why we can have peace. We are not fatherless. Secondly, in Christ, we are not troubled. Now, let me explain this, okay? Turmoil abounds politically, okay? Tension arises culturally. Technology rules socially. And so when Jesus says in for chapter 14, verse 27, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. And then he says this, Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Does that mean that we, we won't be troubled? No, it doesn't. It doesn't mean that. We still have troubles. He's saying, do not let your hearts be troubled. I can take comfort because I, I'm not the recipient of a feeling that numbs me to the reality of what goes on around me, but rather I have a person who is with me that helps me navigate everything that I encounter. That's why I should not let my heart be troubled. It's like, I mean, I'm, I am fortunate. I am blessed to have the family that I do. My brothers, if you're watching, hey, Shah, and my, my brothers and my sister, I've, I've shared with you before how my sister rescued me from a bully. Remember that, Shah? 
how my sister rescued me from a bully, my brothers who have helped protect me in, in various altercations because there is a peace. It doesn't mean that there isn't trouble and that we encountered, we didn't encounter opposition. We did, but having my brothers with me enabled me or helped me through those things, which was a great blessing. Now, we are told this in the scriptures, if God be for us, who can stand against us? That's why we are not troubled because the creator of the universe who, who spoke all things into being, we're on his side. He knows each one of you by name. He knows every hair on your head. If he knows when a sparrow falls to the ground, are you not considered of more value than the sparrows? That's why we are not troubled, because the creator of the universe has us under his mighty hand. It is why Daniel could confidently enter a lion's den. Why? Because he knew whose side he was on in Daniel 6. It is why Moses could enter the pharaoh of of the palace of Pharaoh in Egypt in Exodus 5 because he knew whose side he was on, but also whose call he was fulfilling. He knew the purpose that he was there. It's why Elijah could confront King Ahab with his godlessness in 1 Kings 17 because he knew whose side he was on. The rich and precious Promises we have been given in Christ bring me peace and comfort for two reasons. One, because Jesus made the promise. And two, because Jesus keeps the promise. Simple as that. The reason why he made the promise, because everything he says, as we heard last week, he is the way and the truth and the life. Everything he says is true and will come to pass. But the reason why he can make such promises is because he has the capacity to fulfill them. That's why he is more than able. So we are not fatherless. That's why we can have peace. We are not troubled because he is on. No, no, we are on his side. Who is on the Lord's side? Who will serve the king? who will be his helpers, other lives to bring. Okay, that, that's a great old hymn. It says, what was it? We are on the Lord's side, Savior, we are thine. It's a great, great old hymn. It's a great old hymn. Sorry, that's about the most singular. Thank you very much, Ali. I appreciate that. That's why we can have peace, because we are on the Lord's side. So in Christ, we are not fatherless. In Christ, we are not troubled. And in Christ, we are not aimless. Sometimes in our Christian lives, that's how we feel. We can feel aimless. We can be caught up with doing the Christian thing and being frustrated by, by the lack of power, by the lack of, of, of love, by the lack of victory within our lives. We get caught up with the, the standard activity. And, and as Adam shared last week, he knew Jesus as the way, as the way to heaven, as the way to forgiveness, as the way to redemption. He knew Jesus as the truth, the truth about God, the truth about purpose, the truth about humanity, but he never came to know Jesus as the life, as the life of abundance, as the life of liberty, the life of grace, the life of relationship and power. And that revelation he shared last week came from him discovering how to live from the vine, not for the vine. We were talking about that before the discipleship workshop last week, and he was sharing with me how 
we are called to be bearers of fruit. Bearers of fruit, not producers of fruit. We can't produce the fruit. It's the vine that produces the fruit. The branch just bears it. And that is our purpose. That is our aim. Not to produce, but to bear. So our purpose, our goal, is to have to is to bear the life of Christ, is to bear his life through us and to bring forth fruit for others to partake of. It is why Jesus says this. He says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Verse 17, this is my command, love each other. Now, we often look at fruit, and it is a part of it, and, but we often look at fruit as, as numbers, or we often look at fruit as souls. We often look at fruit as something tangible as an, or empirical that we can measure. The fruit is the life of Christ. That's what the fruit is. The fruit is the life of Christ. It's talked about in Galatians. When you read about the fruit of the Spirit, everything that the fruit of the Spirit represents is Jesus Christ. It is the very person of Christ. That is the fruit that will last because it is the fruit that loves. And so here is what is laid out before us as we heed what Jesus has told us so that we could have peace. We have peace. He's told us all these things so that we could have peace with God and Christ. We could have peace with each other as his children and ultimately have peace with the world as proclaimers of his gospel. But you see, that's why we have peace. That's why we know peace, because we know the Prince of Peace. And what has the Prince of Peace told us and given us in him? Well, that you're not orphans, that trouble will not overcome us, and that we have an eternal purpose. He has said these things. So we're not fatherless. We're not troubled. We're not aimless. And then he finishes with this, but take Heart. Take heart. Be encouraged. Be excited. Be enthused. Take heart. He who created all things, who was before all things, for whom all things were made, and by whom all things are sustained, who holds the supremacy over all, and who on the cross broke the power of the devil and overcame the grave making the earth his footstool. He says, take heart because I have overcome the world. You want in layman's terms? Jesus says, take heart, I got you. He says, take heart, I got you. I got this. Each situation that you're in, I got it. That hard place that you're in right now, I've got it. That frustration you're feeling right now, I've got it. You can have peace because it's in me that you find it. So when you read things like in Colossians 1, 16 to 18, it is done so to in, not only to encourage us, but to assure us of the fact that he has got this. I mean, you read that passage about Jesus Christ. It says, in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, 
visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things, not some, not most, not just a little, all things, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. There is not one aspect of life that is not covered in this passage. There is not one aspect of existence that is not covered in this passage. And you write, look at that very last word, and he is supreme over all of it. He's got this, he's got you. He's got the situation. That's why he says, you can have peace, because look at who I am. Look at what I've done. Look at what I can do. That's what he's saying. That's why in him you can have peace. This then stirs us with the beauty of of 1 John 4, 4, because he says, you, look at those two words, dear children, You, dear, you're not fatherless. He goes, you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you, you, is greater than the one who is in the world. We know this. We hear this. When you look at it in the context of how great Jesus is in this previous verse, and you think, he is in me. That's why we can overcome. That's why we can have peace. Not only that, we would discover that everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. That's you. That is you who have now overcomers in Christ. That's why Romans 8.37 says that we are more than conquerors. Yes, but how are we more than conquerors? Through him who loved us. It's about him and what he has done, because in him we may have peace. He is the reason we can not only have peace, He is the reason we can know peace. So take heart, brothers and sisters. He has overcome the world. He has told us that these things, so that we can not only know Him, we know that we have our Father. We know that we will, yes, encounter trouble, but He has overcome such trouble. We know that we are not directionless, but have an eternal purpose. I mean, honestly, if Jesus Christ did all that he could for us by dying on the cross and rising again so that by faith we are delivered from all the hardships and all the difficulties. And well, no, we're not delivered. We are enabled to live in and move through all the hardships and all the difficulties and why in all of this we can know peace is because we know Jesus Christ. And even better, we are known by Him. Because in Christ, we have peace. I went further than an example. I don't, don't want it to, but let's pray. Let's pray. I'm excited. I'm excited. You should be excited too. You're not fatherless. You're not troubled. You're not aimless.
because in him we have peace. Man, let's pray, let's pray. Father, might, I'm loud and, and I'm sweaty and I'm really excited because you, Lord, are our peace. You, Lord, have overcome the world. You, Lord, are a risen saviour who has overcome and conquered death. And in so doing, you have enabled us to overcome and conquer death also. We thank you that we are secure in you and that regardless of the difficulties and the hardships we face, face we know peace because we know you. And so I pray, Lord, that you will stir our hearts, that with the truths of, these, of your word, you might just excite us to hold on to, to, to grasp onto you with dear life because there is no hope outside of you. So Father, I thank you so much for your word this morning. I thank you so much for your son who loved us, who died for us, who rose again, and who now indwells us by the Holy Spirit. We thank you so much for that wonder, wonderful privilege and for that wonderful honor to be called a son and daughter of the Most High. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In your mighty name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you very much for that, brothers and sisters. Thank you very much, everybody at home. Have a great weekend. And remember, we've got a prayer meeting. Please be praying. If you can't pray or join online Zoom, we'll be praying for Didi and Mimi online here as well. Okay, so God bless. Take care. See you next week.